Suppose it's all true mm. and you walk up to the pearly gates and you are confronted by God. What will Stephen Fry say to him, her or it? I will basically, what's known as the Odyssey, I think I, I'll say bone cancer in children. What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say. And you think you're going to get in no, on that? but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. They're wrong. Now, if I died and it was, it was Pluto, Hades, and if it was the 12 Greek gods, then I would have more truck with it because the Greeks were... They didn't pretend not to be human in their appetites and in their capriciousness and in their unreasonableness. They didn't present themselves as being all-seeing, all-wise, all-kind, all-beneficent. Because the God who created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly a maniac. Utter maniac. Totally selfish. Total. We have to spend our life on our knees thanking him? What kind of God would do that? Yes, the world is very splendid, but it also has in it insects whose whole life cycle is to burrow into the eyes of children and make them blind. They eat outwards from the eyes. Why? Why did you do that to us? You could easily have made a, a creation in which that didn't exist. It is simply not acceptable. So, you know, atheism is not just about not believing, there is a, is not believing there's a God, but on the assumption that there is one, what kind of God is he? It's perfectly apparent that he is monstrous, utterly monstrous, and deserves no respect whatsoever. The moment you banish him, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, more worth living in. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, watch out for that bucket of blood that's coming. It's going to be dropped down on you any second, honey. Yes, welcome everybody to Aeon Bite to AB Live. For those of you wondering who are listening in audio, I am in costume because happy effing Halloween. And I thought that intro from the movie Carrie would be perfect for Halloween. And the song from Blind Melon is just perfect because we are going crazy, honey. This world is going crazy. We are walking into World War III. The economy only helps the rich. The environment's a disaster. The United States government is just falling apart. So welcome to the desert of the real, because in our madness, in our trickery, that's where we will beat the Archons. But the world seems to be lost. I just heard that Matthew Perry from Friends died tonight, died drowning. And he just gotten clean, too. Yeah, this is the world we live in. But so good to see you on this Halloween weekend, if you would. My name is Miguel O'Connor, and I am your Pompidus of Gnosis. I am your magic man, but you are so magic, too. And that's what we're going to discover tonight as the world falls apart. So it's awesome always for a Halloween special to have Sandra Wells and Scott Smith. How are you guys doing? Spooky. 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 Yeah, well, that's, yeah. That's a very, uh, yeah, thanks for the wordy event. So, so Scott, have you uh, finally come to your senses and uh, embraced the only true uh, politics, which is anarchism, and realized that we cannot vote our way out of this uh, 
ending of civilization, if you would? Uh, no. Um, you know, I, uh, I knew Harry Reid, and um, I was going to actually be a speechwriter at one time. Um, but uh, I've always been a, a, as Jerry Brown would put it, uh, a radical moderate. And so politically, I'm always enraging the left and the right with my postings. And uh, I, um, I actually got to know Reed um, because I was editing a Mormon newsletter for Democrats. And of course, they were a, a minority back uh, when I knew him in 1989. And he had just been elected uh, as the new senator from Nevada. And <clears throat> we, we talked about politics and, and got along great, but uh, we never did discuss uh, Area 51 because I don't even know if he knew anything about it. But back then, uh, it certainly wasn't what it's known about today, or at least um, we certainly didn't discuss UFOs. So I was shocked when he was on 60 Minutes shortly before her death, his death a, a year or so ago, um, because for Mormons, um, they, they, their great heresy um, is that the temple ceremonies are about becoming a god and having your own planet. So we didn't get into the UFO subject because it was just kind of assumed that if there were extraterrestrials, um, they were just visiting us from some other universe and it was no big deal. Um, one of our earliest uh, Aon Byte interviews was all about Mormonism. And I have a, a Facebook page um, on <clears throat> For God Reconsidered, my book on Gnosticism, um, all about kind of the Mormon angle on all that. But uh, at the time that I knew him um, as a fellow moderate, uh, I had just gone through a couple of mystical experiences that were going to lead me away from uh, Mormonism and the, uh, being involved in kind of Mormon politics. Um, but um, as Harold Bloom uh, wrote in the American religion, they, the Mormons do have kind of a, a what you might call a blend of, of heretical Christianity and Gnosticism. So um, that's kind of my uh, my answer about how my politics and my uh, religion have blended over time. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much for that, Scott. I got a cat right here. Well, wouldn't you say, well, haven't we had two years of moderate Democrats? That's why everything's falling apart. I don't think we can no. that I want. No, no, no. I, on, on, the, on the contrary, I mean, um, the, you know, the, the, the problems politically, not to get too off of the Halloween subject, but still scary, okay. um, is, from my point of view, is that um, each state is, in my opinion, unconstitutionally trying to advance their majority, and that takes away because of the electoral college, that takes away from democracy. And you really need competitive democracy in every state. And the electoral college, which was designed to protect small states, ends up um, 
the, and it's not really in the Constitution, but the way it's ended up is whichever party or parties get 51%, they have the entire electoral vote except for Nebraska and Maine, where they do it by the, their two house districts. But uh, that that is an extreme version of majority rule. So all you got to do is get to 51% and you can lord it over and do whatever you want. And this has been carried to an extreme. But in any event, uh, I don't want to get too far off the political stuff because that's enough of a nightmare and we're looks like we're going to go through a lot of turbulent stuff. So hopefully we can uh, we can talk about the mysteries uh, of Gnosticism and UFOs and stuff that is slightly less controversial than politics. Yeah, here we are. Yeah, but believe it or not, here we are. So, Vance, how are you doing tonight? Well, I looked in the mirror this morning and I said, uh, what costume would I wear tonight? And when I looked in the mirror, I was so scared when I saw I said, this is my scariest costume. So that's why I'm dressed as myself. As so, your meat sack. Uh, yes, Mr. Meat Sack, and I, I'm fine. I'm fine with it, and I, I'm fine in general. Glad to be here with uh, Sandra and Scott. Looking forward to uh, UFOs, one of my favorite things. Uh, although these days, you know, there's a lot new to talk about. I don't think we've talked about uh, to Scott about um, all these alleged governmental revelations and disclosure, sort of a soft disclosure. So I'm sure we'll get to that. Anyway, it's been a couple of years. Yes. And for those of you in the audience, uh, please super chat them so we can get to your questions or your complaints or your criticisms about my outfit. And uh, we'll go from there. Uh, Not much housekeeping. This will be uh, probably won't have a live show for a while after this Halloween next week. I am going to Graceland to do some research to top off the book, America's Magician get some pictures and finally get the ball rolling for the book to come out. Also, uh, yeah, do some research, get some experiences. So I will be out, but of course there'll be some other shows and uploads and content. I will make sure that the Gnosis keeps going in in November. We got some amazing shows. I expect the second part of our American Gnosis with Dr. Vers Luis. We've got esoteric Eddie. Who's got some new research on the cult of Moloch. Uh, we just got some amazing shows of Finding Hermes and a few live shows toward the end. So uh, brace yourselves. So, yeah, if Van says uh, we should lead in with UFOs, then I think. And, yes, it has been two years since we had Scott and Sandra, and things have gotten wilder with the UFO reveal. So what do you think, Scott? What is going on? What the hell is the government doing except, again, trying to confuse the hell out of us? Well, um let's let's back up a little bit we just both read annie jacobson's area 51 and of course i i don't know that reed ever learned anything about area 51 even though it was in nevada um this is the first book that we read that was really really credible um because of her insider sources um i didn't think anybody could really penetrate it i'm going to let Sandra, go first on what she learned about that, and then I'll kind of fill in behind her, Sandra. Any surprises? Uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, uh, they practiced the moon landing 
because it was a very moon-like surface. And that was the reason for the propaganda. It was a faked landing. And he proved he got to know a little later, and he was very, very set about it, told us about the uh, criticisms of conspiracies, whatever. But that was the reason for that. Yeah, the um, this was at a time when we knew him that people had forgotten about him. This is before the movies and the documentaries and everything like that. And he was a very modest guy, and we didn't fully appreciate what he had done and what he had been through. And he went on. He had been an alcoholic for a while. For all I know, when we knew him, he might have been, and he got sober and you know wrote some best-selling books. Uh, the biggest shocker to me was Roswell um, and what. Annie Jacobson discovered, uh, her sources, I think, are really impeccable. And I say that having read, you know, I was a, a major writer for UFO magazine. And um, the, and also, I lived in Germany. Sandra went over there with me. Um, I speak German. I've written extensively about World War II. And this is stuff that I didn't know and would not have bought into. But um, so we've all gotten Roswell wrong. One of the early witnesses, right at the front of her book, and she doesn't come back to the UFO thing about Area 51, which is mostly about stealth aircraft and stuff like that. But um, they noticed that there was Cyrillic writing on the saucer. And that was odd. You know, Cyrillic is Russian. So how could that be there? It turns out, apparently, that Stalin had learned from the 1939 Orson Welles War of the Worlds panic on Halloween that he could get the American public to worry that aliens were invading and the U.S. government couldn't protect them, and that would help distract the Americans from uh, you know, making progress um, and having faith in their government while he tried to catch up, the Soviets tried to catch up. And so, incredibly enough, what he did was, I, I did not believe that the Nazis had developed a, a small flying saucer, but she makes a very good case that they had. It could seat one person. So he brought those Nazi scientists in to develop it further, and they got to the point where they could have a remotely controlled flying saucer that could seat four very small people. And in, even more incredibly, the notorious Joseph Mengele, who you know did all the genetic experiments and, and ended up escaping to South America, he was tasked with taking some dwarves, breeding them so that they would have big heads and kind of look like aliens. Um, they were strapped into this so-called flying saucer that was remotely controlled, and it was intentionally crashed near Los Alamos because that's where the Manhattan Project was even after the war. And two of them died, and two of the, the little dwarves uh, were taken comatose to Wright-Patterson. So that was <laughs> this book kind of changed our whole understanding of... Area 51, and I, I really doubt that Harry Reid knew any of this. Um, now, how I got involved in um, the UFO business 
and we can go back and forth with Sandra on some of these other topics that are related, was the first person I ever knew who had seen a real flying saucer during daylight was somebody I worked for, a very famous author, Pavel Irola. He was a, a well a best-selling author in the nutrition field, and he was Mormon. And he and a famous nutritionist named Richard Barmakian in 1975, when I was um, living with Dr. Arola in Phoenix, um, went on some kind of research expedition in South Arizona. And when they came back, they told me that they had an argument about UFOs. And Richard said, oh, it's a bunch of bunk. I think it's crazy. And Arola thought, well, they could be there. And all of a sudden, Richard said, I've got the weirdest feeling we're about to see a flying saucer. And sure enough, they came around the bend and on a hill at the top of the road, there was a archetypal flying saucer. And Richard told me for the next 10 minutes, he just said, oh, my God, they're real. And then it took off. So that was the first person I ever personally uh, knew who had seen one. And then on Halloween 1984, uh, there was this big, weird, glowing globe thing in the sky. It didn't. It wasn't the moon. It didn't appear to be a, a balloon. It wasn't moving. Um, and so I called the police. They came over. And we watched it for a couple of hours. And that got me interested in the whole UFO business. And um, Mormons don't have a problem with UFOs because they believe that uh, the perfs the purpose of, of any good member is to become a god and have your own planet. That's the great heresy of Mormonism. But when I got into the abduction business, that's where I started having my religious faith shaken. And I would go on to do an interview for UFO magazine with C.D.B. Bryan, who wrote Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, uh, a nonfiction um, author, best-selling author on New York Times. And he told me, and I agreed with him, that if you go too far into the hall of mirrors of the abduction phenomenon, you start to go crazy. And that's what caused my religious crisis with Mormonism. And I read one book on the subject by a Mormon. The Mormons believe, you know, there, there's this biblical passage about the that Lucifer and a third of the hosts of heaven being cast out. And in the Mormon version, all souls, everybody living now and who's ever lived, and this third of these angels, as most Christians would think of them, um, that they were moved out of heaven because Lucifer wanted to bring, let people be born, and he would force them to be good. And Jesus' proposal was he would give them free will and teach them. And according to the Mormons, there's no hell. So if you failed that test, if you you know, were an atheist or evil, um, you would just go to one of the, lo the lower degrees of heaven. So this LDS author who wrote about abduction said, these are all demons who have been denied the ability to be born in this world. And they're trying to create these humanoids so that they can, you know, have bodies, essentially. So um, it wasn't after I had my 1989 
crises. Sandra said, well, you know, maybe you'd be interested in the Gnostics. There was a big article she showed me in LA Weekly. And I said, wow, that sounds like what I got out of my mystical experiences. And she says, well, I've been going to Stefan Heller's lectures for years. Why don't you come with me? So that's how we, how I kind of uh, uncovered Gnosticism. And the central thing that I learned when I wrote God Reconsidered, and I have a, a Facebook page on this that has all the Aeon Byte interviews and some chapters and stuff, is what probably happened is the Sophia myth of the fall was a cosmic accident that brought about evolution. And evolution took 600 million years. There was no intelligent design. It was unintelligent design. Everything was screwed up as if the Demiurge and the Archons were trying to guide it, but they didn't know what they were doing. And so we had diversions like the 189 million years the dinosaurs were around. And um, I think the Archons and the Demiurge have played gods. They've pretended like they were in charge of this earth. But the reality is, you know, the UFOs don't land on the White House lawn, but neither does the Virgin Mary and neither does Satan. You know, if you remember Arthur C. Clarke's Childhood's End, at the end of the book, the aliens come out and they look like devils, right? So, but none of these so-called supernatural creatures, good, bad, or neutral, uh, actually stay in this in this dimension. So maybe the UFOs are partly aliens who have a good enough sense to stay out of our insane asylum, or maybe they are, as Jacques Vallée, the great innovative thinker on UFOs, hypothesized that they're like the fairies, you know, they're from another dimension, but they don't stay here very long. So that's kind of my big picture on aliens and UFOs, and we can get into more details uh, on it. I know Sandra's had her own uh, UFO experience if she wants to talk about it. But Scott, yeah, before that, uh, why do you yeah. think the government is being so open in the last few years? What well, I think they've, yeah, I think they've been forced to, and I think um, Harry Reid was, I, I think the insiders have known there's been something building. There have been enough encounters. You know, you probably heard that there were pilots who said they saw UFOs go under the water and and all that stuff. I mean, you know, when you think about it, um, uh, the, the great, the guy who was in charge of the cover-up, um, who was J. Allen Hynek and, and his sidekick, Jacques Vallée for Project Blue Book, they eventually realized it wasn't swamp gas. You know, they they could not keep covering it up. So they switched sides and they started the Center for UFO Studies. And so it's been long known by the insiders in the Pentagon and, and pilots and everything. And, and I've got some chapters on this. We can talk about some some of these specific cases. But but everybody kind of in in the who has been a witness, they, they've kept these files. Everybody's aware of it, and it's been suppressed, but it just, the rabbit got out of the, uh, the cage, you know, and there are just too many pilots and too much going on. And um, so, you know, so far, the public hasn't panicked as in War of the Worlds, like uh, Stalin had hoped. But uh, there are a lot of credible cases, and we can talk about um, that um, one thing I wanted to mention, go back to Sandra, is um, I wrote 
some chapters in my book on UFOs with Uri Geller. And um, we got to the publishers too late. This was right at the 50th anniversary of Roswell. So the book didn't get picked up and I ran them as as uh, articles in UFO magazine. But um, Sandra introduced me to Uri Geller and she can tell you about what Uri originally said about UFOs and what he's been saying lately uh, because he's been posting a bunch of YouTube videos. I don't know if people are aware of this, but Sandra, why don't you tell them what happened with Uri and the guy who brought him over for the CIA, uh, Andrea Paharic, and he also brought over the psychic um, Peter Herkos. Yeah, and if you could speak up a little bit, we couldn't hear you. Andrea Paharic. Can you speak up, Sandra, so we can hear um, you? Let, let, maybe I can turn up her mic. Hold on. Yes, for those of you, they are in the same house. They've not got uh, dimension portaling to her house. What do you think, Ben, while, while he's doing that? What do you think? Or let, let me know if you have a question for Scott, because I know UFOs is more of your forte. Well, yeah, um, I was wondering what the source was for the Ro the Roswell theory that it was actually, you know, United States uh, you know, managing Germans. Yeah. But anyway, I guess Sanders. Right <laughs> I got to put them both on mute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully we fix this this tech archon that we had to. We had a tech archon getting the show started. Hold on, Sandra. I got to put you off of mute. Somebody okay, Sandra, can you uh, start from the beginning? Go ahead. <laughs> Yuri Geller. Yuri Geller. Uh, I think you turned her mic off, Scott. But Scott, do you, we no, can't... I didn't do anything. Hold on, I didn't. No, hold on, I didn't. I didn't do anything to her mic. Okay, can you hear her now? was a scientist, a doctor, a lot of patents, very credible person, and he was the one brought. What? He was the one that brought. No, I didn't do anything. Hold on. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. What's yeah, that? Not an echo. I, yeah, there's a problem with Sandra. You might have to speak yeah. for her. Um, yeah. Hold on. Uh, put her on mute. Well, anyway, why don't we go? Vance had a question for you, Scott. Yes, yeah, Scott. What was the um, what was the source for the information about Roswell that they were actually, you know, yeah. dwarfs and so forth? Yeah. It, it, to, it's so detailed on the people that she talked about there. One would have to read the book to realize the extent to which she used insiders. It took many, many years to cultivate these people. Uh, some of them are named and some of them are not named. Um, but honestly, there's no summary that can convey, and most of it is not about UFOs by any means. It's it's about the CIA and the rivalries with the Pentagon, and you know all that other mundane stuff. The development of stealth aircraft, and um, you honestly have to believe it. And and again, I was a complete skeptic until I read her book. So I would encourage people to read it, and it's called. Area 51 by uh, Annie Jacobson. Uh, it, it's really quite radical and mind-blowing, but very credible. But, but you know, you can't 
convince people unless they've actually read the book. And, and most of it's very boring if you're not interested in the development of some of the secret nuclear stuff. But it's it's really uh, an important book. Um, let me see. Um, you know, let me look at Sandra's mic again to understand what the problem is, because I didn't change it. Could you hear her? Could you hear her in the beginning? Um, you barely is it, she's not speaking loud enough and it's very laggy yeah, I okay think, i think the network is lagging too i think oh, uh, it's cutting that might out. be uh sandra can you can you speak hold the mic close to your mouth can you and try to speak louder can you hear her now can you hear me now i can i can hear her there you go yeah there there is okay no. no, her mouth is moving, but there's no audio. And every once in a while, unsynchronized audio comes through. Weird. Uh, try it again, Sam. Okay, I'll try, try, try again. She keeps going. It's, on it's, it's, no. Can you? I, it, can you keep talking, Sandra? Let's see if we can get it to work. Okay, Hadi Baharish brought Yuri Geller and Peter Herkos to this country many, many years ago. He was a very credible person, doctor, scientist, really a fantastic man. Went to visit him in North Carolina, spent 10 days with him, 10 days. And all he talked about was UFOs being around us all the time. I didn't see him at that time, did not see them. But when he brought over Ori, Ori taught, he wrote, wrote a book about Ori called Ori, and he said in the book that Ori was very much involved with seeing UFOs. Ori kind of like very superficially ignores this and says, well, I don't know if I hypnotized me. I don't know what really happened. At that time, Ori was trying to use his powers to find gold and diamonds for people. And at that time, now, it's a whole different ballgame. Now he's on YouTube, and he's talking about claiming that Vernon Van Brown, the godfather of the U.S. space program, showed him alien bodies, the very same alien bodies that Scott was talking about. So it's a whole different story now. He's out there talking about aliens. Now he admits it. Peter Herkos never and I... I've known him 20 years. We've never talked about UFOs, never acknowledged them. And he was really the best psychic I've ever encountered. His clients were Queen Elizabeth and President Reagan. He had a very, very, very big, fabulous, well-known client list. I once brought a boyfriend over there. I used to bring over my, my best friend. Uh, friends of mine was having problems with my relationships. He asked for this man's cap. Just call me later, and I'll tell you all about him. So I did. Everything he predicted about this man was true. That's how great he was. So he was really criticized by being a cheater. He really was the best psychic I've ever encountered. So can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Right, and, and I knew she not only introduced right. me to Uri, but to Peter Herkos, and he was as good as... She says he was he, he was a, a psychometrist. He could touch things 
like Bevy Jagers and some other psychometrists I knew, and he could feel their history. And um, he was working with very high levels of the government. Um, and uh, she told me some interesting stories about him. Um, Sandra, why don't you tell him, tell them about your own UFO encounter? Hold on. Wait a minute. Okay, Sandra, hold oh, on. Sandra. There, there you go. Try it again. I was driving over Mulholland Ken, going to a Gershifi meeting, and there, between the mountains, I saw something that looked to me like a circus, uh, circus, circus thing, with a lot of lights flashing, very, very strange thing. I stopped my car, went to look at it, and not see anything quite like it. When I got to the meeting, nobody, nobody made mention. I asked everybody, did you see what I saw? Got home, I called the police, no one saw anything. I heard nothing on radio, nothing on television. Just I saw that thing. It looked like a, like a circus, a circus flat, flat, flying thing. It wasn't even flying. That was the only time I did see a UFO myself, personally. That was many years ago, of course. Yeah, we... Sandra, Sandra and I uh, did a cover story for um, Los Angeles Magazine, believe it or not, on UFOs. And it ended up not running because the editors forgot that they were owned by Disney. They were part of ABC. And um, they ran a little scandalous expose on Michael Eisner. And the next thing you know, they were fired. And uh, the new editor came from W Magazine, the fashion magazine, who told me, listen, I'll pay you for the whole story, but UFOs don't really fit my idea of an expose. I, I think an expose is like an early um, uh, insight into what the best shoes are going to be for the fall, and um, UFOs don't quite fit that. So I ended up getting paid for the article, but it didn't run in, in Los Angeles Magazine. But in the process, Sandra and I met some really interesting people. Sandra, why don't you tell him about um, a couple of the people, some, some famous people that we met in the process that she was part of the interview? Oh, it's before that. Yeah. Let's continue on this area 51. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, what do you think? Because uh, obviously you've read James Corzo's book and you give a lot of credence to his work, don't you? Or at least his story. Even Chris Knowles thinks uh, he leans towards Corso. Philip Corso or, or, or James Corso? This is the one who, the, the general who was at Roswell. Am I getting... Oh, yeah, yeah. James yeah, I read, I read his book and, and Sandra and I knew the, the co-author and, and I thought it was a very credible book, yeah. But he's talking about aliens and bodies and advanced technology and all that stuff. Yes, right. That's Philip Corso. Yeah, Philip Corso. Yeah. Stop, right. Sandra. Stop. Yeah, yeah. Philip Corso, right? No, no, yeah. Sandra. Don't talk right now. Yeah. We, Sandra and I knew knew the uh, the the publisher of UFO magazine wrote co-wrote that book with him, and it seemed very credible. But this one seems even more incredible. And maybe you could glue the two together about. 
you know, a, about the transistors and stuff. Um, it, it's a tough, it's a tough decision because you know what Corso said was hard to verify, but um, and maybe they're two parts of the same puzzle. I don't know, but. This, when you read Annie Jacobson's book, this is not based on one source, which Corso's book was. This is a whole bunch of people who were reluctant to talk, and it took her years. So it'd be very interesting for somebody to kind of compare the different books. And of course, we know other authors have put together credible stories, but this was all brand new to me related to Area 51. So I guess um, we'll have to tackle, you know, how to harmonize all these things. It's just kind of like, I think that most of the so-called aliens are archons, but yeah, yes, there could be some creatures from other planets that um, are teasing us. Um, the abduction thing is the greater mystery, and that's not entirely part of the Roswell story. Right, and there's so much of it that, when yeah. you look, and like you said, it's insanely disturbing when you get to the stories in Brazil and Iran, and oh my God, what they're doing to people and animals. It's uh, yeah, I think archons. Thanks for bringing the archons because you're probably yeah. right. <laughs> demonic, demonic. So, so Halloween. Uh, what about Yuri Geller? Um, we didn't get uh, to finish that uh, arc. Um, yeah, I am. Um, I'll I'll start it off by saying that um, I I had uh, occasion to hang out with Russell Targ um, at the Mind uh, Being uh, meetings in the Bay Area up in uh, near near San Francisco, and um, he told us that Yuri was a trickster and some of the stuff he did while he was the SRI remote viewing program and when they were testing him were tricks, but not all of them. And they felt that he had real abilities, but he would like to fill in sometimes, you know, if his abilities weren't sharp or something with tricks. So it's kind of hard to trust Yuri. Um, no, but but here's here's the thing. Sandra and I tested him independently. Um, and, you know, for example, um, Sandra, what's the name of that book that that you that we read recently? Hold on. Mm -hmm. Which one? No, no, the, the CIA book. Okay, I think it's James Margolis. Yeah. Okay, it's called, it's by James Margolis, who is a New York Times. It's the secret life of Lori Geller. Yeah. The secret life yeah. of Lori Geller. Yeah, this book will blow away anybody who yeah. thinks that Ori was... What um, is a fake? Now we happen to know. Sandra and I tested him personally, and you know, I think some of us are aware. The best psychics um, think they're more accurate than they are, so they try to juice it. And and Ori has admitted this that he has cheated from time to time. But you will. I read James Randi's book before Sandra and I tested Ori. And, he, you know, they always say, well, what Uri does is he puts a little chemical on his finger and he touches the key and that's why it bends. No, he was standing 50 feet away and we we weren't the only ones there. And we held up our keys and we saw it bend. Uh, Uri, ha as Sandra mentioned, made a fortune 
in finding gold and oil and things like that. He's the real thing. But but if you read the James Margolis book, they talk about um, Targ and SRI and um, the and 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 actually, you know, the the guy he mentioned, Andrea Parge, he was a CIA agent. And he brought Uri over to be tested by SRI for CIA remote viewing work because they were taking it very seriously. And um, I, I think that anybody who's skeptical about Uri, I, I again, I read James Randi's book about what a phony he was, and so I, I went, I we went prepared to show him as a cheater. And one of the things that James Randi said is um, what Uri will do is he'll tell you to write something down, uh, like draw a symbol. So why? And he'll watch the top of the pencil and figure it out. So I went into another room and I came back and he guessed what I had done. Um, there, There's no real question that he's legitimate, but it's amazing. Uh, James Van Prague has also been accused of, you know, cheating at times. And but I, I've tested him, and 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 it's just a weird thing. Uh, Sandra will testify to this. We both wrote about psychics for Fate Magazine. We went around and tested a whole bunch of them in L.A. They all think they're more accurate than they are. Bevy Jagers, who was definitely a great psychometrist. I interviewed 50 different police who she helped on murder cases. And she she thought she was 90% accurate. And I could see, because I was helping her write her autobiography, I could see she was probably 50% accurate, which is really remarkable. But this seems to be a problem with most psychics is thinking they're better than they are. They try to juice it. And and he's admitted this. Well, all I can say is I have had two UFO experiences that we've discussed before, but the king is always the king. I've got Elvis has had four he had four UFO experiences with he was not alone. Uh, and then he had two kind of mystical experiences, one where the demiurge actually appeared to him. So and wow. when it, psychic, as I show in my book, he literally was a mind reader. He could read people. I mean, you don't get that successful by accident. He It's almost like he could not just read people, but they say he could actually control people in a room. I mean, this is from bodyguards who were atheists and others. He just had that incredible ability. And yeah, he even told, he did tell somebody he was from another planet, uh, uh, a girl, he told him. Now, the problem with Elvis is that he was, he liked to bullshit a lot. So sometimes he might just, just spew something up. But um, yeah, once he got into Yogananda, he got this Gnostic bite where he thought he was like, I am a stranger from another world. I'm a spiritual being and a physical, that kind of stuff. And people thought would look at him like, Oh boy, he's cracked. He's cracked. But he was fine. So thank you. Thongo very much. So here we are. Yeah. The, the, the chat room is a little skeptical on Geller. So I think times are changing. That's not how it used to be. Obviously the chat room, uh, doesn't like James Randi for obvious reasons. So I guess we are living in a world where we're just getting rid of all the old sides and just throwing them away and starting with something new. So bravo, let's move on from an 
and find the, the middle ground, uh, other things that are out there, other ideas. Um, Scott, did you have something? To yeah. Say? Um, you know, I wanted to talk about the skeptics more because James Randi gets a lot of the publicity, but th this is how insidious they are uh, on UFOs. And in the opening chapters of God Reconsidered, and I have this posted on the Facebook page for God Reconsidered, um, I decided to see how objective they were on three issues. And you would think these would be easy things for skeptics to poke holes in. One was UFOs, another was ESP, and you've interviewed Dean Radin, the author of Real Magic and the Conscious Universe. And uh, I've got a whole thing about, I wrote the first article when he got excommunicated from the University of Nevada over his Conscious Universe book. And, um, and you know, Freud was an atheist, and yet he knew about telepathy, and he just considered it a you know a non supernatural thing. This is the problem with the skeptics is anything that they think is paranormal that they need a pope, an expert who can tell them, don't read any of these books because they're evil and they're full of superstition. So you cannot get the skeptics to read the conscious universe, for example, just on, on ESP. Uh, you would think near-death experiences where there would be something they could really poke holes in, but I show that they're wrong about those. There are explanations about that. But, but the, the best chapter, the best way to put their nose in their ignorance and their lies is looking at some strong UFO cases. And I picked out a summary for three. Um, and these are all really famous. Uh, 1973 Mansfield, Ohio, there were four Army Reserve members in a helicopter, and they saw a 60-foot cigar-shaped UFO. And Philip Class, who was an aviation editor, one of the leading skeptics, said it was a meteor. You know, just ridiculous stuff. And all you have to do to show how they lie and or, let's say, mislead themselves and they never admit they're wrong is you just go back and you read the original case and then you look at their explanation. And the reason the skeptics in general never catch on to how wrong they are is they never read the books that provide an answer. Another one was the famous 1978 New Zealand case where there were two plane crews who observed moving and stationary lights. And uh, the radar on board showed these were solid objects. And uh, Robert Schaefer, who was another famous skeptic uh, software engineer, tried to pick it apart. I think some of your listeners will know who Bruce McAfee was. He was a a uh, famous Navy scientist, and he showed point by point where Class and Schaefer didn't know what they were talking about technically. But again, they never admitted they had been wrong. Uh, the most famous UFO case of all time might be the Hudson Valley, 1982 to 86. There were thousands and thousands of witnesses. There's a whole book called Night Siege on this by J. Allen Hynek, 
who was the head of Project Blue Book, which was supposed to refute these things. And then he, you know, switched sides. And um, this was his last investigated case. And one of the people that uh, he interviewed was the media head, the chief meteorologist for the National Weather Corporation, who described the craft as a quarter mile long, blocking out all the stars. You know, you go through these and then you read what the skeptics say, and they're as bad as James Randi, you know. So the bottom line is um, being open to other dimensions. Um, Sandra, what, what was the name of um, Mark Cypher's new book on uh, Tesla? You remember that? Well, anyway, Mar, um, Mark Cypher, who wrote the definitive wizard. wizard. Yeah. Wizard. yeah. Uh, Mark, Mark Cypher was the chief biographer of um, Tesla, and he wrote a new book called uh, a Wizard, all about the other stuff that people didn't know about his developments. And the last chapter is on how there probably, based on what Tesla said in the new science, there probably is an ether. He said, you know, the, the quantum physicists and Einstein were wrong about this. Tesla was probably right. So it just goes to show you that all these skeptics who are theorizing about, um, you know, the universe and, and, the, and the paranormal and what's real. We just discovered dark energy and dark matter, which is most of the universe. Why are we so close-minded about things that we think are paranormal? We don't even know about the so-called real universe, you know? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Because it's fake. It's a construct. And you're right. I mean, we don't even have to go Freud. Uh, Lewis Carroll, very much a rationalist, thought, believed in telepathy. Mark Twain, who people uh, very foolishly claim is some atheist uh, icon or exemplar, he believed in te telepathy and the human ability for precognition. So um, that's not that's nothing, uh, definitely nothing new. But, you know, Tripel says, uh, what did he say? These are not skeptics. A skeptic is like what the ancient Gnostics were others. These are professional debunkers. They start... Uh, they start that, yeah, again, uh, uh, Dr. Raiden is wrong. It starts right there, even though he's got, <laughs> he's got the studies, double bind, it shows, or Mitch Horowitz has done all this research on how, uh, you know, consciousness is obviously non-local, and, and there they are. They're going to start by debunking it, and it's an embarrassing. It's they are a reason why this society is decayed because skepticism is good, science is good, but the whole point is you start open-minded from and you go where the data leads you regardless. Sandra, were you trying to say something? Hold on, we got to put her on. We got to get her off mute. Okay, hold on. Yeah, go ahead. Try, oh, no. Sandra. What? Not yet. Let me get her off mute. 
Oh. experience of my entire life. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, um, we can hear you. Years ago, okay, seven years ago, I had been a very, very serious searcher. I looked high and low, long time for a real magician. Couldn't find anybody. Finally, one day, one day by accident, I met somebody who I had no idea could be the real thing, and he was. Came to my house Christmas Eve, Christmas night, and asked me if I'd ever been in a magic circle. I said, no, I read about that I haven't been in a magic circle. He said, well, I want you to get into this thing, and this, everything I say and do as I say, and do not get up unless I tell you. So I said, okay, and I did. Well, it was like Rosemary's baby, like the exorcist, this power came into the room, the doors opened, the windows opened, I've never been so scared in my entire life. So frightened, I was died of fright. I said, it's real, it's really real. I never wanted to see him again. I thought I invited the devil in my house. I thought it was really a crazy person. I don't know what I did. So I said, good night, never want to see you again. Well, a year later, because his work did work, I changed my mind. And for nine years, he was my teacher. I don't mention his name because he's very controversial. And uh, Scott had met him later and can verify what I'm telling you. The scariest thing that ever happened is that my mother was very frightened. My father was in intensive care. He was dying. And she said, could your teacher, if you knew I had a teacher, help keep extend his life? I said, I'll ask. He said, I'll do it at one time. I'll do it. And he spent the whole day. Okay, he's got five years. He lived five years and three months later. That's how strong his talent was. When he passed away, I didn't replace him. It was a very lot, lot of work for me to do for him. I was only the vessel. And the vessel was like, this Gotti was the vessel for Crawley, the black magician. This Gotti worked with him. And then he became a psychiatrist. He became a doctor or something. But basically, this Gotti is very well known. And of course, Crawley is too. But a vessel was a vessel. I decided to retire from the business and look for the spiritual matters and things of interest. But the most fantastic thing that ever happened to me was that experience for nine years with the teacher. Yeah, and I knew him too. I got to know the guy pretty well. And um, he was notoriously, he was controversial for a lot of different reasons, personal and otherwise. But uh, his reputation was really solid. And so um, I, I drove him out to see a famous psychiatrist one time who had an interest in the paranormal and stuff. But he's really the only real, true ceremonial magician that Sandra and I ever met. So there is that whole world of magic and how it intersects with the other paranormal stuff. And incidentally, you know, the magicians, the real ones, also tried to boost their their performances. You know, you real, you know, uh, Harry Houdini was always trying to do exposés, but sometimes some of these um, so-called magicians really puzzled him. And he was into the occult, that was for sure. Probably, mm -hmm. probably, uh, yeah. He was also into intel intelligence, but again. The occult and the, and the intelligence uh, uh, 
resources are always sort of intertwined uh, because yes, we want secrets. We want to read other people's minds. We want to go under the radar. So occultism and intelligence go hand in hand. Some said Pythagoras was a spy and it's gone. He was a spy for the Greeks to the Persians and it's gone forever and ever and ever. So that's why we have shows like this. You know, Houdini um, arranged with his wife to, to um, have a contest after his death uh, to see if, um, <clears throat> and they had a secret word or something, that uh, he, she would try different mediums. And if the medium, to try to prove that he could communicate with her after he died through a medium. And oh, I guess well. nobody ever, you know, s- sadly, nobody ever um, was able to claim the prize, which kind of disappoints me. Well, you know, this this comes back to the – that's often cited by skeptics, of course. Um, I have a chapter in God Reconsidered on the uh, analyzing what the skeptics say about near-death experiences. And, you know, initially it sounds sensible that maybe that uh, people were hallucinating and, you know, they were on drugs or – uh, when they say they could, they were supposedly dead, you know, maybe the brain was still recording things and stuff like that. And they have, you know, all these uh, theories about why people think they have near-death experiences. The only problem is that when you actually analyze all the things they say, none of these things actually work. The drugs that people take for surgery don't cause these kind of hallucinations. Um, the people who say they left their body, they can go to other p- places uh, in the hospital even and report what's going on there. Um, the Sometimes um, I cite one case where one of the witnesses to somebody dying uh, saw the ghost rise out of the body. And so, again, you know, you would think that when it comes to near death experience, it would be easy to explain them away. But just like with UFOs and, and uh, ESP, um, the, their arguments technically don't work, but they only talk to each other. The skeptics don't get into debates. They don't have credible scientists who can stand up in a debate. And and I demonstrate this in the chapter in God Reconsidered that um, it's it's the same thing with all these things. You would think that the skeptics would do a better job and come out and say, okay, so James Randi wasn't you know very good at with his arguments and stuff like that. The, the reason I open with all of those is before we get into the subject of God, let's talk about maybe what we don't really know. And they, they just can't get any of these issues right. So there's really no communication. I find most of the skeptics, the hard-nosed militant skeptics, not to be seekers, not to be interested in the truth. You know, it, it's really a cult. Yeah, they're just debunkers. I make a distinguishment. Uh, be, I distinguish between skeptics and debunkers. A skeptic is open-minded. A debunker has a preconceived model of the universe and everything has to fit in it. Don't confuse me with the facts. If you say something, you know, contradicts what I think I know, then 
your source is wrong or lying or whatever. And, you know, like James Randi and yeah. all these other people. Yeah. I, um, as, as you guys know, many, many moons ago, probably it might've been 1995 or something. Um, I wrote a book called the soul of your pet evidence for the survival of animals after death. And, um, I, uh, did an interview with Scott Rogo, the great parapsychologist for Fate magazine. It was the first thing I ever did for them in 1990. And uh, I was kind of puzzled at the time. I said, you know, Mormons, and I was Mormon at the time, uh, believe that animals have souls. And uh, I said, how come animals don't show up in, none of, in any of these near-death experiences? And he said, well, I do know of one case where a little boy died temporarily and he came back and he said he was greeted by his dead dog when he got to the other side so i sent off letters to veterinary magazines and to fate and some others and said if you have a credible story if there's a reason that it isn't just a hallucination or that it was your dead pet and you were in grief and you wanted to Maybe it was wishful thinking that when you saw the ghost, send it to me. And I got like 300 responses. And the remarkable thing is that relatively few of them were from the owner of the dead pet. It was like an example is um, one guy said he um, saw this dog playing in the neighbor's yard and uh, so when he ran into the neighbor, he said, wow, I'm glad to see that your pet is healthy, your dog is healthy again. And she said, what are you talking about? The dog died a week ago at the veterinarians. And he said, well, I saw him in the backyard yesterday. And the pet owner had not seen this ghost. Uh, I had multiple witnesses where different people in the family saw a pet return and they all described it the same way or or at least a ghost dog maybe it wasn't even a pet a lot of these people said i'm not religious i never had any kind of like supernatural experience of any kind but here's what happened in some cases they said they could actually touch and feel the ghost animal um the most remarkable in a way was several cases where living animals reacted to the dead animal. Um, there was one person in Los Angeles who said that her one cat had died like a month before, and she was sitting watching TV on the couch with her two living cats, and all of a sudden the ghost cat came from the kitchen and walked towards the bedroom and walked right through the closed door. And the two living cats were arch back, hair up, staring at this thing, and they ran over to the door, and they would not go in the bedroom for the next couple of months. And so, you know, there were all these really convincing and strange and unusual, unexpected things, and um, the, uh, the, the book went out of print like six years ago or something. It's still on Amazon, but people find it covering, and, and I was surprised in doing my research on um, which Christian leaders believed some animals had an afterlife. And one was Martin Luther, and another one was John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. And they pointed to scriptures in the Old Testament talking about spirits. And they said, 
the same term is used for at least the higher animals and for humans. So, you know, there's a surprising amount of of evidence showing that at least some of the animals that we would call companion animals survive death. So that's a whole other level of discussion about whether there are other dimensions. Yeah, I had a a ghost, uh, the ghost of a cat visit me in June. It was very specific what she wanted. It was a request. I completely blew it. And I'm so mad at myself still because I know what was her message. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't. Uh, I could not do the quest she'd asked this ghost cat that came into my house. So I'm still trying to ask her for forgiveness. <laughs> but, uh, now, now I don't know what the quest was, or is it, was it a personal? It's a long story. I think I'd like to. Yeah, I'll share another time about this. Okay. Spooky. But, you know, yeah. I I wish my my uh, my beautiful um, dog Foxy. Uh, left us uh, this past um, March, and I wish I could see him again. But there are a couple of instances where all of a sudden, in my mind, and not seeing in reality, but in my mind, more vivid than I can usually imagine, I saw I saw him in my mind. It was very real. I mean, it sounds airy-fairy and everything, but... It's a subjective experience that you'd have to, you know, know about. Because usually if I try to imagine him, I couldn't really imagine him that clearly. But it was clear and I, it was just so clear. Uh, you haven't seen Rock in dreams at all? Which? You haven't seen your dog in dreams? No, yeah, actually, not oh, in well, dreams at all. Well, you will. When it's always – it's we want things on our time, but that's not how the spirit world – they decide – when it's time for you to hear something and they'll let you know in this world, another one, it'll happen. Yeah. That's my mother. My mother's constantly in my dreams and she died six years ago. <laughs> what about your mother-in-law? Hopefully not. No, I'm just kidding. No, I never knew my mother-in-law because oh, okay. uh, she passed before, you know, before uh, Carol and I were married. So. Oh, good. Your mom's yeah visiting you. That's that wrong. Yeah. She's always good. watching over me. <laughs> good, 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 good mom. That's what they're there for. So awesome. Well, we should probably get into some of the skeptic stuff. I don't know. I, I saw Chester. I don't know if Chester had a question about them cowboys. Chester, how they're going to do tomorrow. Yeah, but, no uh, question yeah, for take this, yeah, let me take this off. Uh, take, let me get a little more comfortable. There you go. Oh, my God. Everything's blue. Everything's blue. But because uh, those glasses are orange. But um. But uh, Scott, speaking of uh, skeptics, it seems mm-hmm. to me there's a whole new brand of heresy hunters. And you and I have talked about, obviously, <laughs> Catholic Church, uh, Protestants, they're going to bring up the Gnostics as the boogeyman, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. That's never going to stop, of course. But now there's a whole bunch that are equating the Gnostics to the new communists, the new Nazi, mm-hmm. the new... Yeah. Uh, great threat to the world and even some of them are trying to so because they need the clicks they're like trying to connect the gnostics to the wokes to hamas terrorists because they don't they want the attention right if they don't get the clicks they're not going to get the money you know just like uh zelensky's not going to get any money unless he gets pressed back in the ukraine because all the press is going to one part of the world now so, but tell yeah, us what you think of this new gang of heresy hunters. Yeah, you you actually brought my attention to uh, two of them. Uh, one was um, Jordan Peterson, who 
is kind of an improbable critic of Gnosticism since he's a fan of Jung. But, um, yes. but you know, first of all, you know, it's if you Google Jordan Peterson and Gnosticism, what comes up is that most Christian scholars don't believe he's ever read the New Testament. Um, he's, you know, I, I don't recall Jesus talking much about political correctness or macho pride, which seemed to be his his main thing. Um, he did say a couple of complimentary things about the values of historic Christianity. But um, according to the scholars that I've read, um, he doesn't seem to know the first thing about what's actually in the New Testament. And I'm just going to let him refute himself. Uh, they all think he's a Gnostic. This is the irony of the whole thing. So I'm not sure what, whether Peterson is trying to expand his audience or kind of joining the, the popular attacks of Gnosticism or whatever. The, the more mysterious one was somebody I didn't know about until you brought him to my attention. That's James Lindsay, who's a militant atheist. And, and I watched his two-hour YouTube rant called The Gnostic Parasite. And his thing is that he appreciates the fact that the early Catholic fathers used reason to justify their beliefs, and this created the foundation for Western civilization. And his objection to Gnosticism is that it involves mysticism, personal revelation, spiritual experience, and he'd rather have kind of the fake rationality for conventional Christianity. And I think that anyone who has read Bart Ehrman's Jesus Interrupted or is familiar with Gnostic writings knows that if there's one thing that conventional Christianity is not based on, it's the New Testament. Uh, as Ehrman points out, the four Gospels totally contradict each other. You would think that they could get the last week of Jesus's life right. I mean, that's a, you know, the crucifixion, the Last Supper, they all totally contradict each other. And Ehrman has said, you know, <laughs> They're obviously not just eyewitness reports, but even if they were, uh, you know, eyewitnesses are often not allowed in court because they contradict each other. But uh, basically, uh, mainstream Christianity, and the Mormons are right about this, is based on the convention, you know, in the middle of the fourth century with Constantine, who was of questionable spiritual viewpoints. And uh, the Trinity, for example, is not found in the New Testament. So uh, Lindsay and Jordan Peterson trying to align them with the evangelicals is a pretty stupid move. But going back to what Lindsay actually has to say, if you pick up his book, Everybody is Wrong About God, he just flat out says his message to atheists is don't try to convince uh, believers of any religion that uh, there is no God. They're going to believe it anyway. Um, and he said, 
try to convince them that their belief in God is due to their psychological and social problems, which is a really stupid recommendation. You know, if you're telling people, you know, you can't persuade people away from their belief in God if you can't prove it one way or the other. Um, but maybe you can persuade them that they're mentally deluded. You know, I, it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, he is really kind of a nutcase. And, um, but, but his central point is don't waste your time trying to con- you know, persuade people there's no God. I don't think you can prove God. If you haven't had a mystical experience, um, you're, you're probably not going to speak from it. But I will say this, that th- this is why I approach this with the Trojan horse of taking other paranormal things and saying, can you accept that there are a lot of mysteries in the universe? And if you can get people to open up their minds, then the whole concept of there being other worlds and and other dimensions, you know, opens up. Now, um, Heller, Stephen Heller, the head of the Gnostic Church, and I have a little bit of a difference with many Gnostics, traditional and otherwise, in that there is too much emphasis put on the notion that you have to have a mystical experience to embrace Gnosticism. Um, uh, the the reality is, and he says this quite explicitly, it may come that way, and I've had those kind of experiences, but it may also come very slowly and gradually through reading and listening to others and participating in services. And the reality is, remember, before the 20th century, virtually nobody was literate. We don't have diaries of the early Gnostics. Um, remember how um, the Marcionites and the Manichaeans became by far the largest Gnostic movements. It wasn't from mystical experiences. It was from listening to missionaries and listening to preachers. They may have things read to them, but nobody could read. The Nagamati texts were written by a tiny, tiny, you know, like the 1% who were really literate. So you know, today we forget these things and we think everybody, you know, can both read the scriptures and come to the truth that way and have mystical experience. But you can be a Gnostic without having that just by study or by listening, listening to your show, uh, you know, watching videos, going to services, going to conventions reading books and all these things and come to the truth. This is why I say that the distinguishing characteristic of Gnosticism uh, is a dualistic viewpoint that says the creator of this world, whoever it was, whether it, whether it was uh, Jehovah, as the Christians believe, or it was the demiurge, or if the demiurge simply, um, you know, kind of tried to take credit for evolution. Uh, this, when you read about the history of this world, you know, it, most people don't realize they're they're always talking about why are we born and why are we reincarnated and so forth. And they're saying, oh, it's because God wants us to learn spiritual lessons. Well, no. 
a quarter of all the 108 billion people who were ever born died in childhood. There was no spiritual development. And most people died in their 30s and 40s from infectious diseases because Jehovah did not want to reveal that there are actually bacteria and viruses or even anesthesia. Uh, this world uh, involved the creation of this world. If you if you look at the track record of Jehovah, if you want to call him that, or the Demiurge, uh, 99% of all species who ever lived went extinct. Um, the amount of chaos in this world shows no divine intervention. The earthquakes and the hurricanes kill people who are perfectly innocent. So this whole notion that we're born here to exercise our free will, that we don't have a subconscious, somehow all these conventional people who believe in in um all the different religions, Christianity, Islam, and so forth, um, they believe God was the creator, but somehow he's not responsible for our genetics. Uh, there are 7,000 different genetic diseases. There are 400 mental diseases, but somehow Jehovah or God is not responsible for those. So the Gnostics are the only ones that tell the truth, which is this world is a disaster. The myth, the myth of Sophia about it being a cosmic accident uh, is what happened, and that and and it's the only path that recognizes that this is not a good creation. You know, uh, Jehovah said, and after he rested after six days and said, you know, it's very good. It's not very good. Hundred and eight billion people have been born. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, well, one, yeah, one one of the problems with that is how did we have population growth if there's reincarnation? Uh, you go you go to India today as Sandra and I did, and um, you ask people um, after all these incarnations, are is India a more holy place than it was during the Vedantic age thousands of years ago? Of course not. You know they think that's ridiculous. You know. Yeah, well, in many ways, we are not evolving. We have not evolved. So, yeah. so and do you think, uh, what do you think about the fall? I mean, we're in alignment. So you think there was some sort of cosmic error somewhere, and then we fell and became human? or? Yeah, well, what, what actually I think happened, there's a, there's a book out, I cited my book, that makes a very credible argument that, when people talk about, um, oh, evolution could be happening on other planets, he says, no, the sheer number of weird things that has to happen over very, very long times to result in intelligent life uh, isn't likely to happen. There's not an infinite number of planets. Uh, that's a common error. Um, uh, I think his name is Donald Walsh or something. And he wrote a book that I think, I think it was an accident. You know, uh, evolution could start from an accident, but it usually doesn't lead to human beings. Um, the surprising thing is when you get into the intelligence of cells and when, and Sandra and I know this from our health studies, uh, 
when you get into the medical, the increasing amount of information about cellular intelligence, it's really kind of shocking how evolution could have guided itself and went from multicellular organisms, you know, up to homo, homo sapiens. So um, I think it was an accident. Sophia mythologizes that. And I think the Demiurge and the Archons kind of took it over, you know, a little bit like 2001 A Space Odyssey, except um, they were incompetent. And that's why, you know, the the prostate and the urinary tract cross each other. Women have the wrong pelvises for big-headed humans. Uh, you know, you have to ask yourself, if Jehovah were uh, a benevolent creator, and he did it, why did, number one is, why didn't he tell us about bacteria and viruses until the 1860s? But what about anesthetics with all the suffering that went on? Couldn't he have said, hey, you know, there's more than wine. Let me tell you about a couple of, you know, opium or whatever it was that he would could reveal. And then there wouldn't have been as much suffering. You know, if people are going to die early, at least why have them suffer? You know, I just the more you know about, again, Yuval Harari's book, Jared Diamond did a book, um, Guns, Germs and whatever it was. Uh, it, Americans don't know their own history, let alone the history prehistory and other things. And the more you know, you realize that this, this world is a disaster. And yet the Gnostics were known, particularly the Cathars and the Manichaeans, but even the Marcionites, the Gnostics by and large were known as people who were ethical. They were nice people. They lived by what we think of Christian values and they didn't need 600 commandments from the Old Testament to be decent people. <laughs> well said. For the record, I still don't think the Marcionites were Gnostic, but that's neither here nor there. It doesn't weaken your argument at all, because, yes, this is uh, this is the world we live in. Vance, do you have a question or comment or anything from the audience? Oh, yeah. Well, first, let me um, t take care of the audience, because Esoteric Teachings... Just wanted to say that he's more Re Yeshua than Jesus and more Yahweh. This is a demiurge all the mouth. <laughs> Mysticism is for the enlightened, intuitive empath. Happy All Hallows Eve. Thank you. And happy Halloween to you. And yeah. thank you, Esther, for the support. And I wanted to point out that all these people that try to say, you know, God doesn't exist and, you know, prove God that exists, I'd like to see them define God first. <laughs> What is the definition of God? You know, in the back of everyone's mind that, that does that, I believe they've got the old man in the chair with the lightning bolts and, you know, like in the Greek method, you know, and, you know, that's what the ancients thought of God as, you know, just a giant human being that it was infinitely powerful. But um, that's at least my understanding. And um, if you even think of it logically, that, can't be true. You can't have a giant person with a human-like point of view. How would they see everybody at once, right? How would they know everything? How would their thinking goes? How would they punish everybody? I mean, they'd have to be splitting into a zillion little gods, one for each person, and now we're starting to come to the truth a tiny bit, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and let me also, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. yeah. Um, the 
this is, um, and you find this also in in other religions too, is the notion that God knows the future, all the future, and that He completely created us, and somehow we're going off track, and it's not His responsibility. Uh, this notion that we have free will in a world where chaos is the rule. It makes him responsible for all the natural disasters. Uh, how about the five asteroids that hit the planet? That Didn't he know they were coming? Uh, it, it, this notion that God is all-knowing uh, means that you are actually don't have real free will. You, all your behavior, including all your interactions, if you get into a car accident, that was either your karma or it was something that God meant for you. When you hear all these people say, it's God's will, it's meant to be, everything that happens to you uh, is what's supposed to happen to you. No, uh, this is just sheer stupidity. Uh, God. Uh, whatever God is, and, and Gnostics believe in a high God who is removed from kind of the daily events, if you want, uh, the God of this world is not the high God. That's the Gnostic message, uh, message essentially. And you can make a direct mystical connection with the high God. But also, there's another thing that a lot of people may not realize, and, and this is why I call my version shamanistic Gnosticism, and and that is, um, if you believe in an afterlife, um, I've found that if Sandra and I do different kinds of meditation, I do TM, she has her own pagan version of it, and she does visualization, but I also um, pray a couple of times a day to what I call the holy dead. Think about all the Gnostic leaders that you identify with. Think about the people, the spiritual leaders you've known in your life who have passed on. Think about all the people you have known who would wish you well in this life who have died. And, you know, it is said commonly, you know, the dead like to be remembered. And maybe that's why they greet you when you go to the other side during your death experiences. But I think Sandra and I have lots of miracles all the time, weird synchronicities. We have so many magical things happen. We actually have to keep lists on our walls to remind us because when the bad stuff happens, it's like, oh, yeah, we did have that miracle last week. It's not all bad. But um, we we pray to those who would care about us. And this is like a shamanistic thing. Uh, you may find it helpful to not only do all those things, but to make a list of the people that you think would be concerned about you and may help bless you. And I've found that to help me get through tough times and also to attract miracles in the same way that meditation does and visualization and so forth. You think is we are are you saying you're manifesting these things or you're contenting Sophia or how I mean it's all this how do you how do you couch your spiritual energy? Yeah. Well, um 
Sandra does more visualization than I do, and I do more prayer, and we both meditate. Um, I, I'm sober now, but my, um, my sponsor uh, meditates for two hours a day. And he's had a lot of, he's a very famous guy and, and he's had a lot of miracles in his life. But one thing that has been shown is the, the more you meditate, um, the more synchronicities or these strange miracles, like, you know, when I was first being taught about this stuff, uh, even before I learned TM, uh, I learned this from James Takish, who was one of the, the CIA's, um, uh, brainwashing experts during the Korean War. And he said, if you start meditating, you'll think about somebody who you haven't heard from in 10 years, and they will call you five minutes later. And those kind of weird synchronies are what I call mini miracles. Sandra and I have these kind of strange things happen all the time, especially in our travels. We've been to India and Turkey and Japan and Uzbekistan all over the world. And everywhere we go, we think with our little mortal minds that we know what's going to be the significant experience. And it turns out to be the thing that we didn't want to go to, but we were forced to go to because the tourism people wanted us to. And we laugh about it all the time because um, if we just go with the flow and work with the synchronicities, they always lead us to these astonishing weird coincidences and um it, it's kind of like when we went to santa barbara they wanted us to go to the world's most famous formal garden it's right near oprah winfrey's house and we said we have no interest in going to a garden we're not garden people and they said please go there do us a favor and we said okay you're sponsoring us for all the other things we think we want to go to and of course the things we wanted to go to turned out to be disappointing this this sandra what's the name of the garden um i, I forget what it is now but anyway lotus land yeah lotus land Lotus Land. Yeah, it's called Lotus Land because it was supposed to be a Tibetan monastery. And the gal and her husband who were, they brought plants from all over the world. And they have like five of the last 11 prehistoric plants in the world. Anyway, it turned out to be the most mind-blowing garden related experience you could ever imagine and so this is just one example and and the reason we think we're being blessed is we don't do travel stories about food and shopping and all wine and all that other crap uh, we do things on history and culture and nature and we think we're being we have a travel article every month and we think we're being blessed because the gods want Americans to travel and get out of their little shells and quit lying on the beach and and uh, quit spending all their time in restaurants. And so we're sharing the incredible experiences you can have that will expand your life. So that's kind of the way synchronies, synchronicities and miracles come to us these days. Well said indeed. Thank you for that. And very inspirational. Uh, well, I think we are pretty much getting towards the end. Uh, it's been, uh, I love great philosophy and opinions in the chat room. You guys are always uh, bringing your A game and uh, looks like there's not much of a chatico there in the in the chat room. No Wittico tonight. Um, 
But yeah, it's been a great conversation. That is for sure. So first, I'd like to say, Vance, thanks for uh, steering us all in the right direction. Oh, I got the steering wheel and I'm steering away. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks. Hey, thanks. And thanks to Scott and Sandra. Always great to see you guys. And, and what sure about Elvis? Things. Oh, Elvis. Uh, Elvis has left the house. <laughs> he's left the building. Yeah, he's left. he'll have to join us another night. So, uh, <laughs> yes. And thank you. Uh, apologies for all the tech archons on on my end with the StreamYard. Uh, we do hope that Scott eventually buys a new uh, PC one of these days without a friend. <laughs> Or, or even a good tablet. All you need is like a couple of tablets, hundred bucks. Yeah. Send your yeah. your PC to hell along with all the other demons. And uh, yeah, please uh, come uh, by. Yeah. Uh, definitely check out Scott's book, God Reconsidered, because he's got all the arguments and the UFO makes great arguments uh, on why Gnosticism is just a religion or not even a religion. Uh, it's a spiritual modality or a metaphysical orientation like shamanism that just makes sense today in our times. And it does please the scientific, the philosophical, and the mystical parts of your brain of your life. So check out God Reconsidered. Anything else I'm missing, Scott? Uh, Sandra knew Elvis, incidentally. So uh, I just want to plug that in. <laughs> like she knew everybody who was anybody. She seemed to attract. When, when's your Elvis book coming out? Probably about a year. Tell me when you met uh, Elvis, Sandra. <laughs> Somebody put her on mute. <laughs> Did you get that, Vince? No, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to unmute Elvis. her. No, okay. I'm trying to unmute her, and there's a lag in it. Can you back? You just You're, you. Go ahead. Try to start over, Sandra. Yes. Yeah, so can you unmute her, Vance? It just nope. clicked. Join me, please. Wait, can you start? Start over, please. Yeah, start. Start over, Sandra. Earth the center. Can you start over, please? I said I met Elvis through Vicky Rain, who was an ex-prostitute who became a Gurdjieffian student, and she was like a star lover, and she really called these people. So she really lived my roommate for a little bit. She took me up there, and I met her at Graceland. But that's how I met her. I think I knew Larry Geller. I think that was his, his spiritual advisor and lots of other people at the same time. It was kind of interesting. It was fat then already and uh, interesting. I didn't get any mind reading vibe from him, I must say. <laughs> I just thought the movie he did see about him was great. The movie we saw lately was fabulous. Fabulous movie. One of the best movies I've ever seen. Really magnetic stuff. Great actor. And uh, just one of many and a lot of people, everybody. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah, I'm amazed people have completely missed how occult Elvis was. He was a ceremonial magician, sex magic. He was all these things. But that will be come out soon. I'll probably start with, uh, I'll start putting out some videos early in 2024 summer as we gear up to... Uh, to promote the book and you'll be mindful. And I'm getting, again, people are 
sending me messages because <clears throat> my book talks about, for example, Elvis could manipulate the weather and move objects. All it was like second nature <laughs> for him. He didn't have to be like Lair, like Geller, and make it up. He would just do it. If he didn't like the weather, if he was out playing racquetball, he would just do that, and it would stop raining. And more people are telling me, "Oh yeah, I was with Elvis, and he did that." And I was with Elvis and he changed the weather and he could make things move and all this other stuff. So it's, um, it's about time. So, well, thank you for that, Sandra and Scott. Uh, thank you again for okay. coming for the Halloween special. And for everybody else, I hope you have a good Halloween, a good weekend. Put on that mask and uh, then take it off and show us your true nature and your soul because you are amazing and we can indeed make a better universe from this fallen material world. So take care. Everybody have a good rest of your Saturn day. And yeah, write your own gospel, live your own myth, and move that pelvis. Good night, everybody. Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O.